as we continue our series, our study on the Hebrews, the names of God. And I'm just so elated, thrilled that we get to take some time today to examine, uh, to scrutinize, to analyze, to study God's character, God's holiness, God's nature, God's ontology, His attributes, who He is, how awesome He is, how God has revealed Himself to us in sacred Scripture. And then we get to go out, or actually here in just a little bit, we get to apply that which we have studied and analyzed and evaluated. Today's name is Jehovah Rophe, the God or the Lord uh, that heals us. And today we're going to have a healing service at Great Hills Baptist Church. Uh, that's why it was so delayed before you could come in this morning at the 11 o'clock hour, uh, because we are going to have a healing service. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to anoint with oil any of you, all of you, who ask to be healed in Jesus' name of your ailment, your malady, your deformity, your difficulty, your depression, your marital stress, your financial difficulty. We're going to ask you to come humble yourself before the Lord. Brother Danny, hold on a second. TV, time out. This is a Baptist church. We don't do stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's reserved for, you know, those people. Those, what about those people? I love those people. I love those people just like I love you. God's not Baptist. Did you know that? God is God. And so what we're going to do in a few moments, um, and by the way, I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm going to India for a few days to go preach and minister and teach. You know, thank you, Terry, for those words. Our God is greater. Our God. Which God? This God. Well, isn't that provincial? Isn't that kind of a myopic, kind of a controversial statement to say that your God is bigger than my God? It is, but it's still true. He is God. And he is the one true God. They serve 33.5 million gods in India. They even have a God for gnats, the gnat God. Do you all know what gnats are? Little bugs that God sent on the earth to test us of our patience and our faith. Those things. They worship the God of the gnats over there. And so I'm going to leave tomorrow, and I hope that I still have a job when I come back. After the healing service here, my, one of my mentors is the president of Southwestern uh, Seminary, Baptist Seminary, is Dr. Paige Patterson. And he said, had I to do it over again if I were a pastor, we would have healing services in our church. We would pull down the, the barriers and we would be transparent with one another and say, you come and let us pray in Jesus' name uh, for your physical, emotional, mental, spiritual healing. Now, I'm going to read the text in a moment, but let me give a couple of words of disclaimer, just a couple of words by way of introduction to this topic of healing. First of all, there are two statements that I want to avoid. The first statement is this, that God never heals. That's just simply not true. You cannot say unilaterally, God never heals. Sometimes God chooses not to heal, and I know that. I have a mom in her 60s who has Alzheimer's, and I've begged God, and I continue to beg God that he would touch her mind and he would heal this woman. But in his sovereignty and his power, he has chosen not to do that. But you can't say that he never heals because you would have to tell Brian and Paige Tillman that. You'd have to tell this precious family that, which they could attest that God does in his sovereignty, in his providence, he chooses to heal us. Brian and Paige were students at Southwestern, Southeastern Seminary. I was Brian's uh, professor. He was in an accountability small group that I met with each week, and Brian got word to me on an afternoon that Paige, his, his wife, after teaching her uh, elementary class, was coming over a hill, and a guy came into the wrong lane, and they had a head-on collision. And it was so horrible. It was horrifying. 
Uh, her aorta was torn of her heart. She had severe trauma to the brain. She was an absolute physical, I mean, she was just destroyed physically. And uh, I got the call and I rushed to the Duke um, University Medical Center, one of the top uh, hospitals in America. And I remember going into that room. And they only let Brian and I in the room. And Paige is hooked up to all kinds of ventilators, all kinds of machines that are pumping and tubes. And it was just one of the most horrible things I'd ever seen in my life. And I saw Brian, this, this young um, husband. They hadn't been married but a few months. And he was literally, he just laid over the bed and her body and was weeping. And I've heard of crying, but I'm telling you something, guys. This was just a sob, a weeping of the soul that, that I, just, I just stood there. And all I, I did all, all I could do, and I just prayed. I said, oh, God. Would you have mercy upon this young couple, and would you heal Paige? Well, guys, I just want you to know something. Sometimes God says yes, and he healed her. I remember calling a few months after this accident. I called to check on them, and when Paige said, Hello, this is Paige, I could not speak. I began to weep. I began to cry because I remember seeing her in her condition and now she was speaking in her right mind. The only thing she has is limited use of one of her arms. And she would tell you today, and she would testify, as a mother of two and as a pastor's wife in Mississippi, that God sometimes heals. So you cannot say God never heals. Number two, you cannot say that God never heals. That God simply, he, you know, you can never say that. The reason God does not heal is because you did not have enough faith. Let's talk about that for a moment. You cannot say that God never heals, and then you cannot say, number two, that the only reason you were not healed is because you did not have enough faith. Because if you just had enough faith, then God would have healed you. Guys, I want to tell you something. That is dangerous doctrinal theological ground. You, listen, if you believe that, then you have to tell the greatest Christian who ever lived that he didn't have enough faith. Remember the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, when he said, I pray God... Take this thorn of the flesh, whether it was a physical eyesight malady or whether it was some other deformity, we don't know. But he said, God, please heal me. And three times God said no. So you can't say that Paul did not have enough faith. It is a mysterious thing. It is an ominous thing when you talk about the healing property power of God. And yet that is one of the self-revelatory one of the declarative names of God is he says, I am Jehovah Rophe, I am the God that healeth thee. Now I want to show you today in the text where God reveals himself as this individual. So let's look at it. It says in Exodus 15, 22, so Moses, he brought Israel from the Red Sea. And then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they were there three days in the wilderness and they found no water. You say, excuse me, Brother Danny, are you reading the right verse? You know, sometimes we preachers, we do that. You know, we get the wrong verse. No, I got the right verse. You say, but where's the healing? And we're, we're talking about the Israelites in the wilderness. Come on, help me. Keep reading. Now, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, and they said, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when they cast this tree into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there God tested his people. Nakah. He tested them big time. 
And he said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and you do what is right in his sight, and you give ear to his commandments, and you keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am. Now, here's the first time. God reveals himself as Jehovah Rapha. He says, For I am the Lord who healeth thee. I am the God who heals you. Jehovah Rapha. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. So God reveals himself as the Lord that heals us. And we're going to take God at his word, at his name, of his nature. And at the end of this service, in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to stand and come to the altar, and we're going to do what James chapter 5 teaches us to do. James chapter 5 says very uh, powerfully, very explicitly, he says, is anybody among you sick? Let me ask that rhetorical question of you. Is there anybody here today whose marriage is sick, that you're on the brink, on the border of divorce? Is there anybody here today who has lupus or arthritis or cancer or, or heart disease? Is there anybody here at Great Hills Baptist Church, you would say, I am mentally discouraged, borderline depression. And I am, just, I am just in a bad way mentally. I am in a tough way physically. I'm in a bad way uh, emotionally or financially or socially or maritally or preeminently, preacher. I am in a very difficult way spiritually. Then the Bible says, come. Then come. You have not because you ask not. And we ask God in, in humility and we ask God in His sovereignty to give us favor, to give us healing. Read it. It says... Let him call the elders of the church. I've done that. They're ready. They're here. In a few moments, they'll come out. You say, dude, you are scaring me. You are serious about this. I am. It says, then come and let us pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And so that's what we'll do in a few moments, and we'll trust God and see what he, see what he does. Now, I want to take you back to this, to this text. My primary responsibility as your lead pastor is to preach God's Word. And not just to preach topical, emotional, tantalizing little ditties. I am to teach God's Word expositionally, exegetically, word upon word, line upon line, precept upon precept, doctrine upon doctrine. It is my primary responsibility to educate you, to eliminate you, to encourage you in the Word of God. It's not to do anything else. 99.9% .9 of the other things that pastors I'm supposed to do, I, I, I'll gladly do some of those things, but I'll allow other people to do it so that I can save myself, so that I can have these few precious moments with you that I can give you my absolute best to preach you God's Word. And so that's what I'm about to do. I'm about to teach you God's Word, and I just pray that God, that God speaks, that God moves. First thing I want to share with you, the first word of instruction or encouragement is, number one, testing follows blessing. Testing follows blessing. The year is about 1445 B.C. The greatest, most climactic event in all of the Old Testament was the Exodus, bar none, uh, unequivocally, the Exodus. It's when God, you remember the story? God brought the, the uh, Israelites out of Egyptian captivity, incarceration, bondage, enslavement to the, to the Egyptian uh, 
powers that be, the pharaohs, the rulers. And God reached down after 400 years of captivity and he raised up the Israelites and he says, Moses, you are my man. Lead them on into the promised land. And Moses goes, oh, 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 wait a minute. Are you sure you want me to do that? And God says, yes, I don't make mistakes. I chose you. Come on, let's do it. And so remember the story, two million of the Hebrew Jewish people, they come out of Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land, and lo and behold, they have a major barrier called water, the Red Sea. And you know the story. God says, Moses, raise up that staff. He raised up that staff, and he, it, he brought it down, and God parted the sea. You say, Brother Danny, do you really believe that? Yes, I really believe that. Listen, guys, if you have a problem with the supernatural, then you need to close up your Bibles and go look for something else. Because the Bible is replete with supernaturalism. You say, buddy, wait a minute. I am an empiricist. I am a chemist. I'm a physicist. I'm an anthropologist. And I'm a paleontologist. I'm a man of letters. I'm a man of education. Well, good for you. I'm so glad you are erudite, academic, intelligentsia. And, and by the way, I could say I am too. You know, I went to school forever to get the Ph.D. It's not a Pentecostal hairdo or a post-hole digger. It is literally a doctorate of philosophy. And I'm glad to have it. And I'm so glad I don't have to check my brains out in the door when I come to church. I can worship God with my mind. And so I worship Him today with you and say, if God said He parted the waters, brother, then kajam, kaboom, He did. Parted them. All right? And then, so they go through. And they have a holy hoot nanny party. Whoop! Party over here, man, God split the Red Sea. They go ballistic crazy. Okay, one more time. Party. <laughs> my, my teenage sons are going, Dad, you are crazy, killing me. So they part, God parts the Red Sea. They go to the other side. Man, blessing. You don't get any more blessed than this. However, they go three days. And they're thirsty. And the Bible says very explicitly in verse 25 that God tested his people, Naka. He tried them, he proved them, he, he tested them. It's the same word used in Genesis 22 1, Naka, where it says, And God tested Abraham. Abraham, I'm testing your faith. Do you believe me? Do you trust me enough to give me your son, your only son, Israel? I'm testing you. Do you believe me? that I am the God who parted the waters. I can provide. I can slate your thirst. Do you trust me? And they did for a while, just for a while. And after three days, they came 40 miles later to Mara. Edward Robinson uh, did some research on this water basin today known as Mara. And this is what he says, quote, The basin is six or eight feet in diameter. That's today, not back then. And the water is about two feet deep. It is... Very unpleasant in its taste, saltish, and somewhat bitter. The Arabs <laughs> consider it as the worst water in all of these regions, end of quote. And that's the way it was then. And so it was a larger body of water in 1445 B.C., and the Israelites come upon it, and they're like, yes! Man, we have been traveling now for three days. We are so thirsty. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. There is our water. And they go to drink it and only to scoop it up and to find that it is this brackish, bitter basin of water. And they're like, ah, that is nasty water. Yeah, I know what some of you are thinking. Like, yeah, but Brother Danny, that was then. But man, in the day of grace, in the day of the cross, and the empty tomb, and Pentecost, aren't you glad that God no longer tests us? 
excuse me? I don't know about your God. This God, he still tests his people. Let me read you a verse out of Proverbs. One of my favorite, it's one of those ouch, but oh my, verses it says, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold. See it? But the Lord tests the hearts of his people. Now, God does this for reasons some are only known to him. And in his omniscience, though, he tests us. I think sometimes he tests us to see, will we be self-sufficient or will we be God-sufficient? Will we be arrogant and, and proud and say, well, I can do this on my own? And so God says, okay, I'll let you. And so we, we come up against this bulwark of difficulty. We come up against this obstacle to this impediment. We come up, stay with me, on the sea of travail. And God allows those things to happen so that it is children will say, okay, God, I'm not big enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not grand enough. And so, God, I need you. Let me tell you something, God. Let me just go on record and say, God still tests his people. And this testing sometimes follows great blessings. After the mountaintop, sometimes we go into the what? Help me. In the valley. Number two, murmuring follows testing. Murmuring follows testing. Verse 24 says, and the people complain. The Hebrew word is loon, and it means to be obstinate. It means to complain. It means to grudge. Listen, whether you're a Moses back then or if you're a CEO today, if you are a leader in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, or if you own your own business, if you're a coach of a football team, if you're a pastor of a church, I want to tell you something, friend. When things go bad, get ready. Because people are going to judge, they're going to criticize, they're going to complain, they're going to moan, they're going to groan, they're going to get angry, they're going to get upset. And many times in the spiritual realm, when they're upset at God who they cannot see, they take it out on me who they can see. It is a weird phenomenon. And I'm like, did I do anything with that? No, but I'm just mad. And I'm just going to, I'm going to hold you accountable for it because I'm mad. They didn't tell me about that in seminary, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad I'm still here. They, they, the murmuring follows the testing. Walt Kaiser is a great interpreter of Scripture, says this. He says, The unpalatable waters at Mara made a strong enough impression so as to obliterate the miracles of Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea, or so it appeared. In other words, they developed spiritual amnesia. Let me, let me demonstrate what, what's going on. The Israelites come... After three days, and they're thirsty. And they see that, that there's water. And their hopes are elated. They're so buoyant in their spirit. They're like, yes, oh, God, thank you. We prayed, and, and you have come through for us. And then when they reach down and drink that water, they're like, tuh, tuh, nasty water. And then they're like, where's the Moses guy? And they start looking. They start looking for him, you know, and they're going to they're criticize. They're going to complain. They're going to argue. And we do the same thing. Some of you do the same thing. I do the same thing. I'm trusting God. I'm walking by faith. I'm having a difficult time. And I say, oh, there's hope. Oh, right, God has come through. But God didn't come through. God is waiting to come through because he's testing me. And oftentimes, we will complain. And we will argue. And we will debate and remonstrate. And we will say, oh, I wish. And, and, and it just gets ugly, you know. It just gets nasty. I like the way one writer put it. Yes, Miss. Hey, author, bless your soul. She said this, The stench of Egypt was unmistakably discernible when the winds of testing blew. And that's what happens to us. 
God tests his children. Oftentimes we fail his battery of, of testing and we begin to complain and to murmur and grumble and groan. And, and, and I know we shouldn't, but I know we do. And aren't you glad today that God just does not zap us? Aren't y'all glad? I'm so glad God is patient with me. I'm glad that God just didn't say, okay, that's enough, boom, just kill me. You know, because I complain, like, and I know I shouldn't. And God's working on me. I mean, he's working on me big time real good to keep my ever-loving mouth shut. Whoop! Zip, zip them up, brother and sisters. Okay, number three. What is the proper response? You know, testing follows our jubilation and our celebration. After the testing, we, we get into a, a difficult way and we begin to murmur or complain. But here's the best response is prayer. We are to pray to God. We are to take it to the Lord in prayer and leave it there, if you will. Verse 25 says, and here's what Moses did. So Moses said, you bunch of whining ignoramuses, who in the world do you think you are? Water is not a problem from God. I ought to take this rod and staff and beat you over the head with it, you bunch of idiots. That's not what he said. That's what we do. We get mad. I mean, we get angry, and we, we want to retaliate, and we want to make things right. Moses didn't do that. You know what Moses did as a good, godly, spiritual leader? Listen, you CEOs, you business owners. Listen to me, you coaches of teams. Listen to me, you pastors who watch this program all over the country. Here's the proper response. Take it to God. Isn't that a novel, amazing thought? Pray to the Lord. You just bend your knees, bend your volition, build, build, bend your heart and say, Oh, God. And that's what Moses did. He began to pray. You know, there are five other instances in Exodus and Numbers where difficulty came, the people complained, and Moses responded with prayer. The first one is here. Number two is in Exodus 16:2. Same group of people murmured because they had no food. The dynamic equivalent for me would be a bunch of us Baptists coming to Great Hills and we don't have any coffee. And we're just like, Where's my coffee? I mean, it's okay. I mean, it's okay, but it's not really okay. I mean, where's my coffee? And who took the donuts? Who took the donuts? You know, I mean, that's the highlight of my Sunday. I just want to come get a little sweet Krispy Kreme, Rocky Top, whatever that other place is. What's that other donut place that's so good? Round Rock, Rocky Top. Thought I was in Tennessee. Amen. Those donuts. All right, good. Well, where are they at Great Hills? Well, they took them. Well, I, why didn't you ask me? How dare you? And we grumble. It's a little thing. We complain. They grumble. They groan. They complain. And the Bible says Moses took it to God. Isn't that good? Just let me just pray to you, Lord. Please take care of these people. Please help me. Help them not to kill me. Number three, it says in Exodus 17, 3, they murmured because of thirst again. And Moses cried out to God again in verse 4. Number four. The fourth time is in Numbers 14, 2. This time... Aaron gets, gets criticized. Not only Moses, but his associate pastor, Aaron, gets, a, 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 gets a, a brunt of it as well. And here's what they said. Oh, that we had died in Egypt. <laughs> oh, that we just would have died. I just wish we had just, just been dead in the wilderness or back there in Egypt somewhere. And oh, I just can't believe you crazy people led us here. And they complained, and Moses and Aaron took it to God in prayer. And the fifth time is number 1641. They accused Aaron and Moses, listen to this, of murder. They said, you people are trying to murder us. You're trying to kill us. That's why you brought us. 
And it's almost like, guys, hello, time out. Don't you remember what life was like before you knew God? You were in Egypt, you were in bondage, enslavement, in captivity. Your spirits, your souls, your bodies were incarcerated in a dark dungeon of darkness and depression and defeat and difficulty. I brought you out of that. And I brought you into a land of, of promise and a land of blessing. And why don't you be grateful and thankful for that instead of arguing, instead of complaining and moaning and groaning? I don't know. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And so here's, here's kind of in this milieu, stay with me, in this context, in this convoluted context of testing and and groaning and, and moaning and despair and difficulty and hurt and, and, and failed expectations. Watch this. God says, enough. Listen to me. I am the God who heals. It's like God speaks a voice of reason in the midst of our cacophony of chaos and difficulty. God says, Moses, thank you for praying. Here's what I want you to do. You see that tree over there? And I like Moses going, uh, yep, Lord, that's a tree. Cut the tree down and throw. Lord, are you sure you mean to... that's going to look mighty foolish? I cut a tree down, nothing happens. Trust me, cut the tree down and throw it in the water. He did. And the waters now are sweet. And so, in this context, the miraculous intervention is God says, throw in the tree, He does. Now, I want you to notice with me some powerful words of declaration. Ooh, this, is, this is exciting. I want to share these, these words with you. He says, now listen to me. Do what I ask you to do. Keep my commandments and my precepts, my statutes in verse 26. I will not put the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who rofe you. That word rofe means to, to heal the hurt of nations. And to eliminate the distress of individuals and to bring about salvation. Let me give you some physical analogies. The word means to mend as you would mend a torn garment. To repair as if you were repairing a dilapidated, torn out building. And it also means to cure as you would cure and nourish back to health that which is diseased or sick. Now what I want to do is just walk you through some biblical text where God has revealed himself as Jehovah Rophe, and then we're going to have our healing service, okay? Number one, God heals physically. It's a, it's a wonderful thing when you read in the Bible, such as 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 5. Let, let me read this to you about Hezekiah. Remember Hezekiah, the good king who was in a bad way and he was diseased and and God gave the prophet the voice. He said, Go and return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. I have heard your prayer. I've seen your tears, and surely I will refay you. I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. You Bible scholars, tell me what happened. How many more years did God give the good king Hezekiah? Fifteen more years, God healed him supernaturally, intervened in his life and healed him. Right, let me give you this one out of the Gospels. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and Jesus went about all the cities and the villages teaching. Baptists, we're good with that, aren't we? We are very, 
didactic. We are very teaching-oriented. We are very cerebral in our faith many times. And we're okay with teaching. Thank you, Jesus, for teaching. Amen. Woo, that's good. And Jesus preached. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for preaching the gospel. And then he healed. Excuse me? You're not supposed to be doing that because that is freaky. That is different. We don't, we don't know about this healing thing. And the Bible says Jesus healed everybody of every disease among the people. The word healing there, it's interesting enough, is the word therapueo. Therapueo, which we get words like therapeutic or therapy. Jesus was therapy. And he healed sick minds and broken bodies and destroyed lives. And it was amazing as he manifested himself as Jehovah Jesus who heals the sicknesses of his people physically. Number two, emotionally and mentally. Emotionally and mentally. Luke chapter 8, verse 35. And they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus. And they found the man. Y'all remember this guy? When we get to heaven, I, I, I hope that God has us on like a big DVD in heaven. And I, and I want to see this Gadarene demoniac. When he is just 2,000 demons encompassing his body. And, and, and it's interesting, isn't it? They had so many demons back then, but we got psychosis and psychological problems today. I think a lot of our problems are demonic. That's a lot of our issue. But we're so sophisticated, remember? We're so intellectual. We have rationalized it and debated it away. This guy was sick to the core of his being. I mean, he was ripping his body. He was chained, and he was tearing himself. He was cutting himself, and he was growling as these demons. And, and people were like, man, that guy is freaky. Stay away from that guy. And so he lived out in the tombs by himself. And Jesus went up to him and said, hey, how you doing? He's like, I'm freaking out. I got demons all in me. And Jesus says, be healed. And you demons go in those pigs and run off the cliff, and they did. You're like, dude, I can't go there. That's just too supernatural. You got to go there. And so they run the pigs, all of them die. And the man is, he's like sitting going, wow, wow. But read it. It says, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed. He's got clothes on. He used to be naked, just tearing and clawing. And it says he's sitting in his right, what? Oh, isn't that sweet? And the Baptists were afraid. <laughs> and we all were afraid. Sitting in his right mind. That's Jehovah Jesus given healing mentally and emotionally. Let, let, let me give you a couple more. Jehovah Rophe heals morally. Morally. Not only individually, but also corporately. The, the great verse there is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Let, let me read it to you. It's if my people who are called by my name... Remember this? If they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven, stay with me, forgive their sin and rofe their land. I will heal them and I will heal them morally. God, God does that. He can do that. He does that individually. He does that corporately. He does that geographically. God can bring supernatural, spiritual, dynamic invasion. Upon us, which we are a very difficult, recalcitrant, a very stubborn, sophisticated United States, that's why we're not seeing God do much in the United States. That's why we're not seeing God do very much in Austin, Texas. You know why? We don't believe. But can I tell you, over a million people a week 
are coming to faith in Jesus Christ in Asia, in Africa, in South America, and all over the globe. It's like the Spirit of God has been unleashed. And people are coming to faith, and they're just the churches are exploding, but not in, all, but not in Austin. And not here. Look around you. Look at this cacophony, this vacuum of a congregation. Look at this, look at this place. Why? Because they don't believe. They don't believe. But if you believe and you trust, then the power of God is unleashed upon your life. He heals morally. Let me give you one more. Most importantly, he heals spiritually. Here's a couple of texts I want to look at before we have our healing service, all right? Luke chapter 4, verse 18, when Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me. That's Luke chapter 4. He has anointed me. Back up one time, guys, help me. Verse 18. That's verse 19. He has anointed me to preach. The, I have this memorized. I don't know why I didn't just quote it. Sorry. To anoint me to preach the gospel to the poor. Uengalitsomai. To evangelize the poor. He has sent me, here it is, to heal the brokenhearted. All right, look at, look at verse 19. To proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty. All of those who are oppressed. Guys, that is, in the, that is mostly in the macro world of spiritual bondage and captivity. That's Luke 4, 18. Look at 1 Peter 2, 24. Oh, this is exciting. 1 Peter 2, 24. Can we read it? Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Look, look. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are Ioma. We are Ioma, not therapeuo. This word is a different Greek word. It means to make whole. Ooh, listen, listen. It means to bring about one's salvation. So God heals. He heals in the physical realm oftentimes, but not all the time. But He heals in the spiritual realm every time that we believe. Isn't that amazing? My Kay author, I, I love her story. I've shared with you bits and pieces of Kay's testimony, but let me, let me give you the rest of the story. When she was 29 years of age, she's already divorced from her husband. She said, I, was, I had two sons. They lived with me. She said, I'll just be honest with you. I lived a very immoral life. I went from man to man and was a promiscuous woman. One night I was at a party, and one of them goofy Christians came to the party. And that Christian man, Jim, looked at me and said these words, Kay, why don't you quit telling God what you want and just tell him that Jesus Christ is all you need? It didn't go over very well. <laughs> she, was not, she was not impressed. She was mad. She got in his face and she says, I do not need your Jesus Christ. Do you listen to me, Jim? I need a husband. And then she wasn't finished. She says, and here's what else I need. She gave him five things she needed. Put it in his face. Don't give me any of that God stuff. I need God to, I need some help. And then she said, I went home. And that night, she said, I just began to wrestle in my spirit. And this is what she said. Although I had tried, I could not quit sinning. 
I made the resolution after resolution after resolution to be good, to stop being so immoral. Yet I gave in again and again and again. I finally concluded there was just no way I could ever be free. Oh, my heart goes out. Do y'all know anybody like that? I just said, I just, I concluded. I was resigned to say, I will always be like this. And then she said, I knew I was sick, but it was a sickness of my soul. As a registered nurse, I was an active participant in the healing of many bodies. But I didn't know any doctor who could heal my soul and heal myself. She said, I couldn't heal myself. I had tried. But on July the 16th, 1963, she said, I called my, my boss and I said, listen, I'm sick. Not physically. She didn't get into it. She said, I'm sick. I'm not coming to work. She said, I was walking around in the kitchen like this, and my little son, my eight-year-old little Tommy, ran up to me and said, Mommy, Mommy. And she, he grabbed me by my legs, and I said, Get, get away from me. And she just, she just shoved him away, and the little boy was just looking at his mom. She says, Leave me alone. She said, Mommy needs to be alone. And she said, I ran upstairs. She said, I, I knelt down on my bed, and I just said, God, Here's her words. Listen to this. Great Hill. She said, God, I need peace. That's what she said. She said, I just need peace. And in her own words, this is what she says. On that night, there beside my bed, I found that there's a great physician. His name is Jehovah Rapha. But I would first come to know him as the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. On that day in my bedroom, he had... Mercy. Time out. On that day in my bedroom... Boy, this is the part that just tears me up. God applied the cross to the bitter waters of my life. And I was healed of sins mortal wounds at 29 years of age God so radically changed her today millions upon millions of women worldwide study K authors precept Bible study materials you mean, you mean, you mean God could do that in a person's life you mean God can forgive and restore and heal and God could use someone like that yes he can Yes, he does. Back in our text in verse 27, it ends this way. They came to, to Elam. By the way, Elam's an interesting little spot. It's only seven miles south of Mara. My land. In Elam, there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. Hello. It's like, isn't that just like God? He says, don't give up. I know you're in a desert. I know you're in a detour. I know you're in a dry hole. I know you're in a dead end. But just be faithful. 
Just keep going because I got land of plenty. I've got an oasis. I've got a respite. I've got palm trees. Man, I got a vacation coming. Just don't give up. Be faithful. <laughs> Amen. He is Jehovah Rophe, the God that heals. My favorite part here is there's a clear reference. When Moses cuts off the tree and he casts it in the bitter, brackish basin of Mara, and it is sweetened on a divine, cosmic, supernatural level, God took the cross of his son and he cast it upon the mortal waters of your bitterness and your sourness and your difficulty, and God can bring about sweetness. I'm reading Augustine's Confessions in my spare time, and that's about midnight. And in his confessions, he refers to God as Scott, you are sweetness. That's what he calls it. He says, You are sweet. I know if you're anything like me, sometimes you think God's not sweet. And you get bitter. And you struggle. You struggle in your marriage. You struggle in your job. You struggle in your finances. You struggle in your ministry. I don't know, maybe I'm just crazy, but I thought by now at Great Hills Baptist Church, the 11 o'clock service would be full. <laughs> and I go, well, God, what, what happened? I mean, did, did, did I mess up? I mean, but, but Lord, I, I, there's so many lost people in Austin and and we got about 400 people coming on, a, on 11 o'clock service. And, and I just have a little fit. And I start talking to God. And he goes, are you finished? <laughs> he said, no, no, I'm not finished, Lord. And my wife says, please be quiet. <laughs> Guess what? Brother Terry, he's still sweet. He's still sweet. When I come back from India, if 200 of you decide to come, God's still sweet. Let's have a healing service. Y'all good with that? If you're not, then it's your time to leave because it's going to kind of get freaky. I mean, really, it's going to be oil. It's going to be weeping. It's it's going to be intense. You know, but I'm I'm meeting somebody over at P.F. Chang's. Then go. (laughs) You're free to be dismissed. But I'm, I'm going to be real with you for a moment. If, if you're struggling in your marriage, I mean, we prayed last hour for lupus, for cancer. I mean, we, we, all kinds of physical ailments, deformities, problems. Then what I need you to do in a moment, you just stand, you, you come forward, and, and you, somebody will meet you. We'll take, we'll take you by the hand. We'll just talk to you, and you tell us what your issue is, and then we'll just start praying. Some of you are like Kay Arthur, and you just need to be set free. You need, you need the Lord to save your soul, and you, you come, and we'll help you with that. Okay, I'm going to pray. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God. God, Lord, I pray that you would heal sick bodies broken hearts, confused minds, 
those, Lord, that are in captivity to heterosexual and homosexual sin, to those, Lord, whose hearts are broken, God, would they come? And would they say, I just want to be made free. I want to be healed of my depression, of my cancer. Lord, I can't presume upon you about these physical ailments. And, and, and God, some, you'll heal some, but some you won't. And I, I don't understand that. But I'm going to humble myself before you. And we're going to pray in Jesus' name for each one of these. So, God, I pray that you'd have your way and your will in, a, in among us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastors, if y'all come stand in front. Counselors, I appreciate you. God bless you. And if you're a deacon, would y'all come up here with me and help me for just a moment? Some of our Bible life teachers. We need some ladies, too. Ladies, if y'all good with that, thank you, Susan and Ashley, for agreeing to come on over and help us out. Brother Terry, you ready? All right. Well, just stand up. God bless you as you stand. And let's sing to the Lord. And let's... Uh, Let's do business with God. Here we go.